0: This is Testing Code episode twenty six. I'm your host Brian Aachen, and on this episode, I talked to Sam Van Ort, and we talk about PyRestTest. A question in the Testing Code Slack channel was raised about testing REST APIs. There were answers such as PyTest plus requests and other various answers, but there was also a mention of a tool called PyRestTest, which I hadn't heard of. I checked it out on the GitHub repo and was struck by how user-friendly the user-facing test definitions were. So I contacted the developer, Sam Van Ort, and asked him to come on the show and tell me about his tool and why he developed it. Today's podcast is supported by Patreon supporters. Visit pythontesting.net slash support to find out how you can help get more shows on the air and help me pay for some services like audio editing and transcripts. Welcome to Test and Code, a podcast about software development and software testing. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for uh, inviting me in to do this this interview.
0: Um, I wanted to talk about PyRestTest. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Is there a good uh, website for this, or is it
1: also just uh, the the README docs on GitHub are where most of the information lives right now? So there should be links to navigate around that. Um, okay. It's kind of fair. A bit of documentation up there, too, as well as some code examples. Okay. Of course,
0: so to back up a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about yourself first before we get into PyRest test? Sure.
1: So I guess I should give you some background. Um, so I've, I've done a lot of different things, but I started getting seriously into programming when I was working in science labs. Um, my original background was in chemistry, but then I branched into research in nuclear physics. Um, Wow. Wow. Yeah, so it's kind of a a, a weird starting point for getting seriously into programming, but I found that there was kind of a lack of applications for the kinds of data analysis that I wanted. Uh, So I basically ended up writing my own. Um, And then from there, via a long and circuitous path, I ended up, uh, as a professional software engineer. Um, most recently, well, my current, my current employer produces an enterprise flavor of Jenkins. So we're in the, the DevOps space doing CICD work. Uh, I'm a, currently a Jenkins core contributor. Um, so I do, my, my, day, my day job is primarily Java, but I also do Python for fun, um, and for, of course for this side project. Uh, before this I, I also worked at Red Hat and I did a, a mix of different languages there primarily Java and Python plus a variety of other things yeah, and JavaScript the usual uh, I currently I guess my my current claim to fame besides this in Python is that I have production code running at, running at Red Hat that is serving a large number of users um, in fact if you've installed RPMs on legacy um on legacy versions of rel you've odds are very good that you've gone through one of the code paths that i touched oh that's cool so not not in a deep way mind you, you know, i, did, <laughs> I didn't write that application but uh, yeah so it's i'm used to working on things that are that are fairly business critical at the companies i work at uh, at cloud currently i'm engage with a lot of our bigger customers and I
0: do. And what, I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. What was the name of the company again?
1: Uh, Cloud bees.
0: Cloud bees. Like as in the insect bees.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Our, our logo at one point was a, actually a beehive. Okay. Um, so I guess is that more or less what you're looking for? Sort of where my background is. I'm, I'm not trained in QA. Um, I tend to do testing as an incidental to my, my main work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's actually how I got into it is, uh, making sure the software that my own team is working on works, uh, as it's supposed to. So I came across py rest test because somebody on the, um, testing code Slack channel was asking about testing rest APIs. And one of the people uh, mentioned that, um, there was this PyRest test that we should check out, and and I had never heard of it. So I went to I, I googled it, of course, and found uh, found the GitHub site or the GitHub README. And one of the things that intrigued me about it is this: the right on the front, you've got a sample test that it looks it it looks really really easy to read. Um. And that's, that's what intrigued me is this, the interface to the user seems very friendly. Oh, thank you. Um, and I, I guess I, I'd like to, uh, know a little bit more about what the, um, I haven't tried to run it, but I'd like to know more about like what, uh, what problem were you trying to solve that wasn't solved by other products and, um, and what is, do you use this and what's it used for and where, where are its limits? And trying to figure out if, if somebody's listening to this and trying to figure out if they should use it, who's the right kind of project to use this?
1: Oh, sure. So that's actually a really good question. So the the reason it came about is that I was doing a, a project at Red Hat that involved a very significant change in our uh, services layer, all of our Rust APIs. It's used to serve a lot of the core business functions at Red Hat. Um, And in the process of this, we were doing a lot of re-architecting and changing the deployment model and changing, basically doing a lot of deeper changes to the services. And we needed a way to validate that after making those changes, they worked. Um, And so basically, the, uh, the way this started was a very simple bash script that I used to invoke a series of curl commands and look to see if they returned successfully yeah very very basic right yeah there there wasn't really anything that was super easy for that purpose um, you know and it, it sort of purposes well enough but as you can imagine being a bash script there were some pretty serious limitations you know you couldn't do very very deep inspections uh the scripting was very brittle and hard to extend um, there just wasn't if you if you've written anything on any size of bash, you know you know that it's not an ideal language beyond you know shorter scripts or kind of limited limited functionality. I mean, you can do you know it's a a Turing complete language, but uh, support for typing is very weak. Use of arrays is very painful in some cases. Uh, bash is not designed to scale to complex features. Yeah. So w- what I ended up doing was basically rewriting the whole thing in Python.
0: Okay. Yeah. And yeah. The inter- so, so the interface is uh is YAML. Is that am I getting that right?
1: Yeah. So it's I I picked YAML because I wanted a way to declare tests for systems that was easy to use. I had a choice basically between like a config file. Which was, you know, basically like a delimited set of address or URL plus expected response code or method type. You know, you could have that like a one line for each test, but you know that's very limiting. That's how it had started out with the bash test. Um, and then I looked at using XML, JSON, or YAML. XML, as you know, if you work for have worked with it, I assume you yeah. have done it. We all have. You know, it's it's not exactly the most concise language, right?
0: Yeah,
1: um, and the parsing, parsing it can be very. Um, there's lots of gotchas, things like attributes and formatting and schemas and validation and all of that.
0: And for and I think XML was intended to be like a human-readable thing, but the way most people use it, it's definitely not very readable.
1: Yeah, it's it's readable, but only after a fashion. And, uh, JSON, JSON's wonderful for server to server communication, but if you use it in practice, uh, its support for data structures is not as human readable. Uh, it's, it's not cleanly formatted. Um, people who've worked a lot with AWS APIs will, you know, you have, I have some familiarity with the uh the challenges of using JSON for everything. I, I settled on YAML basically because I thought it would be easier to read. It's very close to something like markdown or you know one of the other minimal markup languages and the the structure of the code very naturally maps to how you would write a piece of text.
0: So like to give an example, I'm I'm looking at the an ex- example here. There's um you can declare a test with just test colon and then you can give it a name and a URL and that's a basic test what now what does that do to just validate that that you can can get something from this this URL
1: yeah sure i think i, I didn't properly answer your question earlier so there's there's kind of three levels to pyrest test um the basic case that i was initially trying to solve is just checking that if you Basically, if you make a call to a given API, it returns successfully. So by default, you'll look for like a 200 response code.
0: Oh, okay. Uh,
1: except for post and put, which can return different values uh, if, you know, if you've know if you created something or if it already existed. Um, you're basically looking, validating a set of HTTP response codes. So that's like the first level. The next level is is going a little deeper. You can validate... Uh, validate that the response content matches certain patterns. There's a pluggable set of validators that can check for, for example, text in the response body, uh, look for headers, look for, you know, you can pick specific codes you expect to see back, like validating that if you have an API that's creating records for employees, when you try to create a an employee that already exists, it returns an error. And then sort of the next level is you can build this up using variable bindings and templating.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: And so this lets you build basically arbitrarily complex kinds of uh, requests and responses. And you can template out URLs, cookies, and uh, request bodies. And also the same thing applies to the validations.
0: Now, is this something I'd probably uh, use uh, for the most part in, in a, on a production site just to run it occasionally and make sure everything's still working?
1: Well, or? I think there's, yeah, so there's, there's kind of two ways to do it. I think that's a, a very common use. What, what it's often done is hooked into deployments. So every time you run a deployment, it'll fire PyRest test to validate that all of the APIs work at you know, whatever level of detail you want. Uh, the other approach is to use it as a functional testing apparatus. So Know, something a little bit higher level than just a basic unit test, but you're actually testing that when you launch your application, it works. You're testing you know, from the external interface, all of your requests and responses behave as you'd expect.
0: Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, it's still, I guess, it, it would be difficult. I'm trying to figure out uh, some of the limits of it. If I had a, um, a re- an API that did some work that is not, like, some side effect that's not obvious from one uh, request and and retrieval, um, then if I had to interrogate some other part of the system to see if it worked, that, that would be difficult using this, I'm guessing?
1: Yeah, so there's... It- it's really designed to work with HTTP requests. It's not designed to work with browsers and it's not designed to couple into a database, but there is an extension functionality provided. That's that would allow you to do that. If you chose, you'd have to write some more, more involved Python code to do that.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: It's built, it's built to solve the most common case, but also to let you grow it out. If you want to do something more involved.
0: Well, this definitely looks like it's way easier than bash. Um, the uh, uh, I guess continuing on, um, how would it uh, like? Have you looked into? So this is implemented in Python. Mm-hmm. Is have you looked at like, for instance, using requests or something like that to do a similar functionality? Or um, yeah, my my so, I I bring I guess I'm. It's a loaded question. My first reaction before I even looked was. Well, wouldn't with requests, it wouldn't be that hard to write a test suite to test an API. However, this is the the interface is uh is really concise, and I would be hard pressed to try to write something more concise than this for the uh, the end user interface using anything else. So,
1: thank you. That's uh, that's high praise. Well, hey. not,
0: I I not I don't know if it's really that high praise because I don't my job is never to, isn't to test uh, APIs so
1: um <laughs> well i i think that's so that's kind of the the most common question i've gotten about this is you know well couldn't i also do this with uh unit or talks plus requests you know insert your test python testing testing framework of choice yeah and the answer is yes yes you could you could you know it is a direct competitor to that combination um but as you've kind of highlighted you know sort of the big advantage is that the syntax here is very terse. It's designed to be very easy to use, um, very readable. It's it's more or less declarative, which makes it a little bit more straightforward to follow the logic. Um, and I think sort of the big win here for this is that it's the syntax is designed to be language independent. So if you're in an environment where, for example, Java, Go, Python, maybe Ruby, uh, JavaScript are all languages that are used for server-side applications. You don't need to know Python to write a test in Pytest. test. You just need to be able to do a little bit of uh, YAML writing. Um, so the so the big pros and cons versus unit test and requests versus Pytest. test, uh, you can do a lot more, you have a lot more flexibility if you're writing tests in pure Python code, obviously. You know, you're not you're not as restricted to is yaml syntax, Um, but of course you have to provide a lot more yourself, you you have to check what response code you expect, you have to implement your own validations on the input, you have to have various handlings for things like timeouts, network failures, and so forth. Um, So it it, it starts out very simple writing like the basic test case and requests, but as you kind of grow out the list of conditions it has to handle and the list, the complexity grows, it starts to become more complex. And that's kind of, that's one of the things that can be very helpful for something like this and true for frameworks in general.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm actually, I think that it's a natural question to say like, you know, how does this compare to other test frameworks? And I, 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 I guess I would rather look at it and see that, this, I could definitely see this complementing another test framework so um, there's a whole bunch of um, I mean I'm sure that the, the the more complex things that you can handle are, are great as well but at the very least a lot of the um, I don't know on, on a making sure that the about page and and some of the simpler stuff in a, an application that um, it it seems like overkill actually to use a, a Python test framework to check for. Like a different uh, test framework, whereas um, getting uh, do, doing them in combination and doing some of the if if there is side effects that you need to check, well then use something else to t- check those side effects. But the things that are just yeah, um, HTTP request checks. Um, um, well, why not use both? So,
1: I, I mean, it's it, it's designed to be complementary. Like it's the idea is that you'll have different test frameworks designed for different things. Yeah. Uh, this is designed to do kind of cover the 90% case. You know, if you have one of those special stowflake cases that needs the other 10%, then, you know, write your own code, basically, um, or write an extension. You know, it's, I, I think the idea here was that I, I wanted to focus on one thing or one cluster of things and do it well. Like I intentionally avoided including load testing, for example.
0: Yeah, okay. There's,
1: there's a ton of really good tools for that. You know, everything from Gatling to Apache Benchmark to Siege to Locust to, yeah, you know, there's, I could name five of them off the top of my head. And, you know, that, there's not really a need for that. This is, this has benchmarking because I think that's important for many APIs, but it doesn't have load testing intentionally. You know, it's no. not intended to do load, te- to do unit testing either. It's not designed to do sort of low level functional tests. It's designed to be, you know, very, very much external interface oriented.
0: Now, one of the the I haven't figured this out yet, um, but I haven't really looked that hard. What is the output um, of this? Um, I mean, how?
1: So, yeah.
0: Can so I? The, yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. talking yeah. over each other. But can I yeah. can I hook it up to a Jenkins build server or something like that?
1: Sure. It actually produces a, a summary output. Uh, you know, you get a listing of all of the tests that were run, the groups, the overall pass-fail statistics for each, and errors. Uh, there's also a PR out that outputs it in JUnit format, or XUnit, I should say, so you could parse that. Um, that's currently in the process of being integrated. Uh, there were some architectural challenges that blocked that early on. Okay. Most of come now. Uh, yeah, so it's designed to integrate with that. It also provides, uh, if you want to hook it into scripting in, in something like Jenkins, it provides a response code. So if you just run it as a shell command, you'll get back like a failure if any of the tests fail.
0: Oh, actually that's great. So many, yeah. pe- so many people forget to use, um, uh, error codes now in command line stuff. So that's cool. That
1: probably helps coming from a, a Linux background. Yeah. Having worked at Red Hat.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, they, uh, designed a tool to do one thing. Well, uh, I like it. um, Now, is this uh, is this is this an active project then? Right now,
1: it's been a little bit quieter uh, lately because I've been kind of bogged down with work responsibilities. But yeah, it's still it's still under development. It still gets uh, issues and PRs submitted. Uh, I'm actually looking at doing a bigger push over the holiday seasons until we have some time to do coding to kind of integrate some of the planned features and tie together some of the submitted uh, features. Okay. It's actually got a, it's got a small open source community, but it's got a, it's had a number of contributors offer stuff.
0: Is there any, any particular part of it that you'd like to have anybody help with or if somebody wanted uh, to get, get in there and help you with, with, with it, I guess there's some, some issues and and whatnot that somebody could look at.
1: Yeah. So there's, a, I actually have a tag that I've created for issues to mark them for, uh, like things that I would really like to have community assistance with, or that would be you know good candidates for someone making their contribution. Um,
0: oh yeah, so, you're using the help wanted tag also. Yeah, so
1: so that's my that's kind of my marker for hey, this is something that would be great for someone to chip in with.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um,
1: it, it's kind of I think one of the bigger things that someone could do that's really helpful is uh, there's a set of there's a pluggable registry based approach for comparators, validators, extractors, um, which is my, sort of my approach to, so I should take a step back and explain what those are because I haven't done that. So, uh, basically the, the way we do functional tests here, is, it's a request response model. And, uh, the way you get information out of a request is, or out of a response rather, is you can use an extractor to extract some variable from that to use in future tests. Like if you create a user, you'll get their ID, and then you can use that to validate that that user has certain properties in future requests or to do things with it. Um, You have validators that that validate some property of your uh, responses, like that, for example, it has a valid, say, a valid username. or validate that it is returning JSON. Uh, There's comparators that let you check for some extracted property versus another, like look to see that when you create a user, the created username matches the one you submitted. Oh, okay. And then there's generators, which let you generate templated uh, content to use in testing, like creating, say, a list of usernames. Uh, So all of those are pluggable, and there's there's a set that are provided. I've got, I've got things that cover a lot of common cases, but there's always room for someone to contribute more, like more XML validation, maybe, or, you know, just just about any feature you think is useful that could be implemented that way is a great thing to submit.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's, it's designed to kind of grow that way. And I'd always love to have more features added via those.
0: Okay. Um, well i think uh now i'm I'm just intrigued and I'm trying to find time in my uh life where I can go play with this um but uh it I definitely think it's cool and i i am so uh, if i so to to get this installed and running um looks like it's just a just a python install with some curl requirements i guess
1: yeah so yeah, it's just a pip install that's um that's actually it's one of the things I've put a lot of work into. I've got a sort of a, a test harness that runs in my own personal Jenkins server to validate the installation because that was something that had a it was kind of a challenge to ensure it worked across a range of environments.
0: Yeah, you've got what you've. You're. Uh, I was looking at it. It really runs on everything.
1: Uh, it actually, I have a PR out. In fact, that that lets it run in Windows too, from someone
0: oh. recently. Oh, okay, I didn't. I guess I didn't see that. So it doesn't. It doesn't currently work in Windows.
1: Uh, it doesn't explicitly have support for Windows yet, but it looks like the changes that were needed were very trivial. Oh, okay. So uh, it's fairly easy to adapt to it, and of course on Windows, well, there's options to use like a a virtual machine and or run Docker or something like that.
0: Yeah,
1: I tried to tried to make it multi platform because it. Originally, it needed to support everything from very old versions of Linux, like RHEL five, through to you know, very modern systems.
0: Uh, so,
1: I put a lot of work into trying, trying to get compatibility there.
0: Yeah, and uh, let's see, all the way up through all the from also Python versions starting at two six. A lot of people are dropping 2.6 six support. Uh,
1: yeah, so that's that's kind of the reason it still has two six support is that it's being used at Red Hat for testing, um, at least a couple of projects, and sometimes those might be deployed on older servers. Okay. So uh, keeping back compatibility there was kind of important. It might get I, I might decide to drop two six support in one of the later versions. Uh, if I need to add additional features that are kind of blocked by two six, but for now it's, it's maintained.
0: Okay. Um, Uh, anything else you want to cover about it that we haven't hit on so far?
1: Sure. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll highlight what I think are kind of the cool things about it. If that's okay.
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: Um, so you mentioned the YAML syntax. Uh, one of the things I'm proud about is that this is designed in a very flexible way so that you can plug in uh, new validators and new functionality just by giving it, basically giving it a name. Like, for example, testing uh, or extracting content via JMS path, which is a JSON. It's kind of like an XPath-like JSON query language. It's just as simple as adding an extractor, JMS path, colon, and then whatever query. Hmm. Um, so it's designed to be really easy to add something, and because it uses a library-based method, you just basically have to name it and have some code. And you can use it in your, in your test syntax almost immediately. Um, I also put a lot of work into setting up uh, defaults when parsing the test structure. So by default, the basic test is going to have timeouts. It'll have a basic test for HTTP response code. You'll you'll cover the things you'd expect to see initially, and then you can just modify that as you go. So it's, it's kind of designed to be... It, it follows the Python philosophy of batteries included, and it also... Um, it... It basically follows convention over configuration in general.
0: Uh, so I, I do see that, like, for instance, you have a, a config set that you can say, like, you can specify, for instance, the, I guess, uh, a configuration for a test set. So can I have multiple test sets all in, in one file with different different configurations, like different timeouts for different parts of the system? Absolutely. Okay. Cool.
1: And you also have an option to set up imports within tests. So you can compose groups of tests that include uh, other files in different ways. So like you could have one set of tests that's exhaustive and includes a whole suite. And then you could have a fast test set that imports a subset of those.
0: Oh, so I can build these up and import other tests?
1: Yeah. This was actually something that was added fairly early on by a collaborator at Red Hat.
0: That's pretty cool. I like it. Thank you.
1: Thank you. There's there's some nifty stuff in here. Um, there were some serious limitations in a lot of the test utilities that I had seen before this. Like they required – either they required a lot of kind of custom code to build something or what they tested was very restricted. There wasn't a lot of flexibility to extend it.
0: Yeah. I was well, trying to kind of work on that. Yeah. And I, and I I'm, I really want to thank you for – definitely coming on and talking about it. I'll give you a chance to, of course, to talk more about it. But one of the things I wanted to just mention was the, the main reason why I was excited to get you on here was just this, that it's the beginner mindset, the, um, or uh, what was the, uh, uh, it's kind of a Zen thing of, uh, yeah, it's the beginner, beginner's mind. Whereas uh, I, I, I knew all of the tools I knew how to test with and, and this was a different tool, and my first reaction is, I don't know how to use it, but um, but I want I want people to to if if you're testing a REST API, just to take a look at this because it may save you some time, and especially, uh, I think in a lot of situations, if if somebody if you've got some people that are responsible for making sure an application is up and running, um, and adding to it that are not programmers. Um, I think this is a really great option for people to, uh, to maintain a, a test suite that are not developers themselves. So
1: I, think I, I definitely tried to kind of cater to that use case. And I've tried as much as possible to make it friendly to new users.
0: But um, I think it's, it seems like it's powerful enough for like the hardcore developer to, to get a lot out of it also. Uh, especially, yeah. especially on a team. Like let's say we've got a, uh, the development team is the test team and um, they don't have a lot of time to make sure that the re- regression suite and, and just the, like you i I like that you uh, position it as um, a, I mean, it could be more thorough testing, but it, at the very least, it's a really great way to do smoke testing of an application. So. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one thing I, uh, one thing I was kind of looking to address is like how hard it is to get a, a lot of test suites up and running. You know, like you think in many cases, uh, you know, think about like setting up an environment, making sure that all of the things work, all of the different components, getting selenium up and running in particular can be very painful. Um, I I wanted something that was very easy to land that you could use both on a server for smoke testing. It's designed to run uh, both locally on a server from a central test server or from a, a developer's box. Um, basically I I just wanted to make this process a lot easier because I'd seen so many cases where it was very painful and I was trying to do something about that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I guess one of the things I I haven't even noticed, um, in looking at a lot of the examples, you don't give, it doesn't, you don't specify the, the root of uh, an application. Is that specified in the, the launching of the test or how do I tell it the root?
1: Correct. Um, there's a base URL that you give it. All of the tests are appended to that. Uh, there's a way to override that, of course. There's an option if you want to hard code the full URL there. But the, the intent there is you can just change the, the server location to switch from running a test against a local application to, say, an application running in your test environment to uh, running in your production environment.
0: Oh, Okay. Yeah, so the, so then you have the exact same tests running in two different environments, and the base URL is going to be different. Okay, yeah. now now I get it. It's in it's just one. It's like the first uh, the first argument on the command line. Yeah, in like. fact,
1: that's what we're what we were doing. is you, know, you basically you land a a config file that has the tests descriptions, and then you you know you have a little script that invokes that and gives the server URL. So you can actually, it, to some extent, it separates control of the test execution from control of the test definition, which can be important, for, for example, for security.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, of course, those URLs are going to be different, with, um, like you said, with a test bed or um, within a, a continuous build environment. So, um, okay, now I interrupted you, but um, any more cool features you want to highlight?
1: Well, um, I think the the way I did the extensions with support for separate uh, extract, validate, compare, generate, I haven't really seen that approach used in any other testing frameworks. Uh, maybe you know of one that does. I'd be curious to take a look at how other people have done it. Um, I've certainly borrowed ideas wherever I wherever I think there's something useful that someone else does. Uh, but I I, I really I made some mistakes in the early design, I think, because I was still kind of learning some of the more abstruse concept, uh, abstruse aspects of Python. But I think that was a really good architectural decision that I made, because it lets you compose compose everything very flexibly. It's the same approach as, for example, bash scripting. You know, each each command does one thing and does it well and you can pipe them together to create a very complex result.
0: So uh, can you, I guess, expand on what you mean by the, you said a generate, extract, validate. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's laid out in the, um, the docs have a section uh, advanced guide that goes into this in detail if people are curious about how how you can put it together. But basically the idea is you're creating sort of a pipeline for all of your test scenarios. Um, for each request, you know, you've got templating and variables that are stored in the context. And, you know, each test can build on the test before that. So, for example, you one common case would be you create a test user. Let's say you set up to uh, give them permissions. You validate that the permissions are what they want to be, like what they should be. You validate that the user can't access things they're not supposed to. You validate that the user can then be... Disable their account or delete their account. So you create basically like a full life cycle. So That's the goal right that's very common scenario translating that to pyrest test You have all of the tools you need to build that so for example Use you can use a generator to supply random usernames or say addresses Yeah, you generate generate a dummy a dummy address like one two three four any town USA. Okay, um and then you or like say bob smith you can use a, a list of different possibilities for the generators and then so the so that that gives you like the first part the, the templating using a generator to generate dummy data then you can plug that plug the output of that into your next test by using an extractor to pull out the user id the username and store that to a variable you can then use that in your next your next test to validate that that user has the properties you want using a validator and it compares the variable to the extracted output from your response and you look up say look up the user then you can use that same variable again to uh, say say when you set permissions to look to see that to compare the permission expected with the permission output or to check that there is a restriction in place on that user or permission present using a, one of the comparator functions or an extractor plus an exists.
0: So So, you, so you set this up so that people can write, write their own generators and validators and extractors and just plug them into the system.
1: Yeah, it's a very short, uh, very short snippet of Python needed to define any of them, and I actually have a like a little sample one. I mean, you could write one of these in, you know, like five lines of code. Yeah, but I really, think most of them are about that long.
0: Okay, but I could yeah, probably so- I could use some some uh, some other library as well to like generate data that does it. You know, random sure. addresses or whatever. So yeah,
1: and you can hook that in uh, just. Create a implementation of the generator, and then tell it to import the extension at the command line, okay. and it'll load it from the folder you say. It's got some sort of smarter handling to deal with um, the way Python kind of builds up the, the libraries.
0: So you you've said that you're um you're not a uh you're not a QA person yourself, correct? No. no. Do you have you uh, worked with? Uh, QA teams that use this tool. Uh,
1: yeah, so it's I actually <laughs> I've answered a lot of different questions from people all over the world working with working with it in different ways. Um, Brazil, China, and India seem to have a lot a lot of the uh, users at the moment, as well as of course the US and Europe. Um, everyone seems to have kind of a different approach. So, like like some people are using it, like you mentioned, as a smoke testing tool. Um, other people are using it as, as a functional testing tool or a validation, a validation somewhere between code deployment and like, like to validate that, like a test environment. Yeah. Or for health checking. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different ways people have kind of hooked it into their systems.
0: Yeah. Like I was even thinking, uh, on my own, um, uh, my own personal, uh, sites like the the uh, testing code or pythontesting.net just um, I mean I have something that makes sure that it's still alive but I don't have something in place to make sure that all the pieces are all still working and uh, I could probably easily put that together with this so that'd be cool um, yeah so that's yeah. <laughs> I, I
1: I would be a little dishonest if I didn't admit this has some weaknesses as well,
0: okay. Yeah, tell me those.
1: Um, so I think one of the bigger ones is that uh, curl uh, curl has been a consistent pain point getting it installed. Um, partly that's due to the fact that it's a native library. It brings a lot of low level functionality that this is very dependent on, especially for benchmarking, but. I think if I had, if I were doing this over again, I probably would have started out with a, a pluggable, uh, HTTP library so that I could switch between a curl and a request based implementation, uh, because of basically because of how painful the working out all of the installation issues was. I think I've got most of those solved now, but I would rather not have had to do it. Um,
0: so the what what is the are you using curl for to to actually to to submit the request and Yeah. Um so that I mean conceptually could be rewritten with uh, with like requests or something, correct? Maybe?
1: Yeah, so there's there's some kind of partial work in there that's gonna decouple it a little bit from the like the way the, so one of the other mistakes I made early on in design was uh, I wrote a very procedural way of executing the tests, which was kind of very linear, very rigid, but as it became more complex, the different options that people wanted to use things like, uh, like masking outputs or customizing sometimes customizing headers, sometimes using templating, sometimes not uh, I had to add a lot more conditional logic. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of working on, I guess, isolating those into smaller functions, which will make it also a lot easier to pull out, uh, to pull out the curl part and replace with requests, or allow different ways of, of outputting the results. Okay. Uh, I will say that for people who are curious about requests versus Pycurl, uh, Pycurl is very fast in comparison. It's great for benchmarking because you get a lot of low-level control. You could do just about anything you might possibly want to do with HTTP requests and responses, but it has a lot of quirks to it. I strongly, I would strongly encourage people who are looking at doing networking to try requests first, and then only go to PyCurl if they need the performance or the low-level functionality.
0: And so, what were the what was the reason um, that? Uh, pyrest test uses curl is it which of those or both
1: uh it's a combination of the low-level functionality and the fact that i wanted to do benchmarking and lib makes it very easy to gather timing information like time to connect dns lookup time time to the the first response from the server or server processing time and then how long it takes to transmit the data a request doesn't really make that very straightforward
0: and and how are you using some of that data like
1: well you can yeah so you can actually get an output of all of the different timing information uh, from a benchmark so it's it supports basically it supports pulling out any any of the statistics you can get from curl everything from bytes sent to bytes received to uh, each component of timing it also supports aggregates across those benchmarks so you can do for example the MIT, the median, uh, the average, the uh, the geometric average. There's a couple of different ways of doing it.
0: Um, okay.
1: So, like, you you can get basically get the statistics for every request or aggregated across, say, a hundred runs.
0: Oh. Does it build up on it then? Pardon? Like when I, 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 do, I do I run like run the entire suite a hundred times. Or do I? Uh, every time it runs, does it add to the the metrics? I guess is what I'm asking. Um, I was get gu- I would guess that you specify that I want to. Uh, yeah, it looks like benchmark runs. You you specify uh, how many times to collect, how many times to run through the tests. Um,
1: uh, you can also output directly to a file. Okay. Right CSV files. Ah, uh, you can get the either the raw data or the aggregates. Okay. Uh, standard deviation, totals, or sums.
0: Yeah, I guess this sort of stuff's important too. So if you you might have an application that uh, functionally still works the same, but for some reason one of the parts takes like five times longer than it used to. That'd be something you'd want a red flag and look at, I guess. Right. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was helpful also when I wanted to do changes to specific APIs, like I would use it to test to see if changing the way I did database lookups made the request significantly faster, you know, on average, on aggregate. Um, you know, one thing I'd love to see is someone had a like a 99th percentile response time to this, because that's, that's something I hadn't done and I really wish I had added it. 99th
0: percentile. Ex- explain to me what that is.
1: So like uh, especially if you're if you're coupling together a series of microservices, um, the total response time to some action is determined by each one of the component requests to each one of the sub the smaller services, right? You're yeah. you're basically adding those together. Each 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 hop back and forth adds to the total time. Any one of those that goes extremely slowly once in a while will slow down the whole request, the whole processing pipeline. So it's not just important to have your average request time or processing time be fast, but also the slowest ones need to be still fairly fast.
0: Oh, right. Okay.
1: So like, especially for environments, think about like Amazon or Google where you're running at large scale. Um, you, You need to have predictable response times for your system. So it's, it's actually far more important to have your, your long tail, your 99th percent like the, the longest, longest fairly normal request time still be fairly close to your average. So it doesn't matter if, if say, five hundred requests in a thousand are extremely fast. If the, if the other five hundred run very slowly, because that's going to be user visible very quickly.
0: Yeah, or if, just takes one. Know, sometimes it only just takes one bad experience for somebody to leave, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like the thing about pulling up email, you know, if you, if your email inbox loads very quickly a hundred times and then one time in a hundred, it takes like five minutes to load. You're going to be pretty cranky.
0: Yeah. Users are darn picky.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. They're they're going to notice the one five minute loading. They're not going to notice the other hundred that were very fast.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, okay. So this is one of your, do you have uh, other projects that you're working on other than this that you uh, just... Um, is it, I guess I I didn't ask this. Is this um, something that you're still uh, developing at, at work uh, on during work time, or is this a side project?
1: This one's a side project for me. Um, I was doing a little bit of work time when I was at Red Hat, but I, my day job is, yeah, it's primarily Jenkins related, so. This is personal stuff. Uh, I, I do have some other side projects that I've, that I've done. I don't have any other ones that are very active at the moment that aren't related to my work things. Um, I have done some little like benchmarking. There's a benchmarking library I, I put together to test the different HTTP libraries. That's how I know that PyCurl is much faster than requests, for example. Okay. And I've got numbers for that. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. All
0: right. Most of them are small cool so what's the um um i <laughs> I, I guess i got nothing else other than uh, just um i think it's really awesome that you put this together and i'm um glad that you came on the show to share it with us
1: well thank you i i guess I, I should ask this is sort of my first time doing an interview like this you know is this the kind of things that you wanted to know about am i am i you
0: know is this it, you what know, I'm, I'm I'm new system. at this too. I wanted a um, um so the my my background mostly is a, as a developer, but for gosh, for a very long time, I've been very involved with um, the part of developing that's making sure that your stuff works, and um and also being um in development teams where there's not um there's not QA, uh, a dedicated QA team, and so there's Um, there is, I found there's a lack of information out there's information out there on how to do test driven development, but the test driven development is focused on unit tests and all of that, that pipeline of TDD and XP and all that assumes that you can ignore the big picture because the QA team is going to take care of that. And, and so I, that's one of the, the reasons why I started this was to talk about a lot of things, but one of them is, um, um, what, what do you do when there's no QA team? The development team has to spend their time testing a little different. Um, you can't spend half your time writing unit tests and half your time writing code. And then there's no other half of your time left over to do system level tests. Um, and that's, um, that's a problem I've seen. And the, um, it, the other thing is, um, I'm really wanted to try to find out more about how other people test stuff. So, um, I, I, most of the time, I'm making up my own stuff and and how we test, and uh, listening to other people is really important. Finding out what what people are t- using to test. So,
1: so I'm, I'm kind of curious what like what what you're seeing as far as system level testing. Because so I'm, you know, I see my own corner of the world obviously, and I try to keep abreast of what's going on, but. You know, there's there's all these new things coming out
0: so what do you what do you I guess repeat the question
1: so I guess i I was just kind of curious what you've what you've seen in terms of system level testing as separate from unit testing and maybe maybe browser testing
0: oh um the the uh, most of my time is not spent on web applications so um, i I deal with environments that are not uh, I don't have to deal with a browser um, but uh, the uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of complex systems that um, involve lots of teams and lots of development and um, there's there's got to be a, a reasonably quick way to make sure everything works from top to bottom and and not just um, uh, looking at looking at one little corner of your world. Uh, my, my, uh, work right now is, uh, and has been for my career has been in, uh, uh electronic test instruments. So we use right now we use Pyth- Python test tools to test, um, uh, test instruments. And that's, uh, the interface is visible via Python or you can, it's a, it's a text based interface and, uh, you you can make things happen. You can send send things and make settings, and then you have to check to see if the results are correct or the side effect is correct. Um, the, these sorts of checks are common across a lot of stuff. And one of the things I've seen now, as as web interfaces have come become more complex with microservices and and multiple teams and multiple layers, is there. It's similar to the embedded world where. There isn't one person that's the expert of the entire system anymore. It's a lot of people working together, and it's a similar complex problems. So,
1: it's always the boundaries that get you, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So that that that's one of my um. I am pushing an uphill battle to to fight for tests that are at a larger scale rather than unit tests. There's nothing wrong with unit tests, but um, the really hard problems that keep me up at work late at night or going in on the weekends are never something that's isolated to one one piece of functionality or one piece of the code. It's, uh, it's timing problems or, um, you know, uh, thread priorities or there's weird system interactions that you can't – that there's no unit test that would ever find that. So –
1: and setting up a, a full system environment is also very challenging. It's one of the things that I've I've, I've kind of tried to cope with uh, working in the Jenkins project is how to test in a fairly realistic scenario. Does your does your server application start up? Will it start across you know different say different Linux distributions? Does it you know, do all of the things work?
0: Yeah, so that, I would, that's a hard yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I fortunately have to uh I you usually have one piece of hardware that that um that I have to deal with and not uh multiple environments uh, but uh but then we I also deal with uh, different problems like um that uh even a very simple round trip test takes um takes quite a while because I've got latencies with things like um settling delays and um just the timing interaction for the entire electronic system. So, anyway,
1: I'd like to check out some more of your uh, podcast to see if there's some interesting interesting things in there that I might be able to apply. because it sounds like you're coping with a very challenging problem,
0: I also want to give. a, I mean, there's there's a lot of great. One of the things I picked Python is that there's the the testing testing within. And how to do tests is very active right now in Python. I don't know if it is in other areas, but I, I like Python and it is here. The uh, Pytest community is is pushing the boundaries, I believe, on 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 how to do uh, a very good test um, environment that's um, that's that's as as elegant as possible without being too magical. And then um, the um, and I. I don't want to dismiss unit tests too. Uh, the unit test within Python is is a pretty it's it's often dismissed as being too complex, but it is still being developed and it's a pretty powerful piece of software as well. So, I wanted to bring a voice to some some people that really weren't heard heard about a lot. I like listening to podcasts and I like listening to technical stuff, but the um the the I'm not a web developer, so I wanted to create content or Create content that is applicable to web people and everybody else as well so
1: it's very, it's very interesting. I think Python is a wonderful language to develop it because it's got such a such a dynamic community uh, and there's there's often more than one solution to your problem in terms of libraries and there's a lot of growth and development with new new approaches and new ideas yeah. it makes it very exciting.
0: Well, you know what's funny is I thought I was gonna have like about a 20 minute conversation with you and it looks like we're pushing an hour or so um, <laughs> I, I we should probably wrap it up but I, I is there any uh, particular call to action you'd like to say before we go?
1: Uh, well I just encourage people to you know, grab a copy of PRE test give it a try let me know if it works for you let me know if it doesn't you know I'm I'm always taking a look at new features, uh, bug reports you know, I really, the whole, the whole point is to do something useful for people. So, you know, if it's not useful, I'd like to know what to do to make it better.
0: Awesome. Hey, I really enjoyed talking with you and, uh, we should keep in touch, Sam.
1: Absolutely. So. Ron, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for, uh, making some time to chat. All
0: right. Well, uh, I guess I'll wrap it up there and, uh, thanks a lot. Um, Thank you. so, Hey, when, when this comes out, I'll give you, uh, give you, a, let you know. And, and, uh, um. It probably it may be a couple weeks before I get to it, but um, anyway, I guess I better get back to work.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I appreciate it. I, I hopefully I'll be able to to trim down my overly verbose answers to something a little bit more useful.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't have time for that. We'll probably just ship it as is. So,
1: <laughs>
0: fair enough. All right, talk to you later. Bye. All right, take care, Brian. Bye.